last uh, three weeks, if you haven't been with us, we've been studying the story of the woman at the well. We've seen how the Father is actually seeking wounded sinners to worship Him. In other words, He's not kind of off-put by our brokenness, by our struggles. He's actually seeking wounded sinners to be worshipers of Him, that we would bring, as we've talked about, all we are to all He is through Jesus, that we would come, as the text in John 4 says, that we would come spirit to spirit with him, that we would bring all we are to him through Jesus, who is the truth, that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so over the last few weeks now, we've seen, we've kind of diagnosed both our woundedness, how it typically functions within our life, as well as kind of the road to healing that long road of kind of when trauma has hit your life and life has been upended and dashed to pieces and you've gone through that initial kind of emotional hit, you, you begin eventually attempting to bring meaning to the different pieces of your life. And what we need is a journey in which we have scripture before us, we have truth before us, and we have a relationship with the Father who can help us begin to see healing brought back to our lives. Um, so we're jumping now into Romans 8, somewhat closing off this series uh, by looking to the one who is our helper. So Romans chapter 8, I'm going to be looking at more specifically uh, verses 26 and 27, but I want to read starting in verse 23 and down to 28, just to get some context. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8, verse 23. It states, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. And he helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The question that I just want to get at this morning is how do we persevere when we find ourselves once again so exasperated in life, whether by circumstance or by kind of the inward turmoil of our own hearts, where we are perhaps emotionally, spiritually, physically just undone, where we carry about something of a soul fatigue, where we just kind of lost hope in a better future. We don't even have the strength to begin to hope in a better future. Have you ever been there? where circumstance has just become too much, where the inward turmoil of your heart is altogether crushing. We've considered, yes, that Jesus is 
woman at the well, the sip that satisfies. We've seen that the Father wants us to bring all we are to all he is. But this morning, what we come to recognize that when we're in this place of soul fatigue, where trauma has kind of hit our life in different ways, that there is a helper for our souls. By the way, we got kids, Roman, just embrace the distractions, right? It's the way it's going to roll. So embrace the distractions. Um, maybe it'll be, make it a little easier so you're not like, oh, man, is, 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 is Dan confused in these moments or distracted in these moments as much as we are in these moments? Like, just let it be. Let, let the kids do their thing, all right? So we're going to consider our helper. Romans chapter 8 puts before us the helper. The Apostle Paul is writing, obviously, to the church in Rome and making an argument for the Holy Spirit's empowering presence to overcome sin in the first half of chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. But then he's telling us how we persevere through inevitable suffering. As a Christian, we will endure suffering. It is not a possibility. It is an inevitability, if you will, right? We will suffer, and that's what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit not only helps us in holiness, but he helps us persevere through the sufferings that we face until, as verse 23 says, the adoption of our bodies. That is, well, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When all things are made new again, that's where suffering ends for us. But until then, we have a helper. And Paul makes it absolutely clear that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential to sustaining and empowering our perseverance through all kinds of trials and pain. That's the main idea here, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to sustaining us and empowering our perseverance through all kinds of pain and struggle. If you remember, that's why Jesus, when he was talking through his farewell discourse, he would tell his disciples, it's actually better that I'm going to leave because then I can send you the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit will be better, Jesus is saying, than my ministry. My ministry limited to the limitations of the flesh, right? But the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he can pervasively bring help to us. So the question, once again, is how do we persevere by the Spirit? Two, two points this morning. First, we must marvel at his intercessory care. Observing how the Spirit helps us is not to be some academic exercise. To read that passage that we just read, if you just kind of take it in as an academic, okay, I gained a little more information from God's Word, isn't that nice? Uh, you've missed the boat. God's Word is never to be merely informational. It is to be something that stirs in us Worship. We are to marvel at who our God is and how he helps us to persevere through pain. This is 
who God is. He cares for us. He intercedes for us. And even Paul, as he finishes up his argument in Romans chapter 11, he'll come to this moment of utter worship, of utter marvel. He will declare, for from him and to him and through him are all things to him belong the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you consider Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 as merely academic, you've missed the boat. This is for our worship. Truth about God is to put us on a course of worshiping our God. This is what it's all about. We must first and foremost marvel at who he is and what he does for us. So let's consider it. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That is, just as he helps us empower our holiness through this life to deny our flesh, chapter 8, verse 4, to put to death the deeds of sin, to put on righteousness, verse 13, to live as he bears witness with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, just as he does all that ministry for us in empowering our holiness likewise. Likewise, he helps us in our weakness. And what weakness does this refer to? What's included? When you think of this term weakness, what, do you, what, it, what is he meaning? What's he putting forward? What really is the Holy Spirit invading and helping with? Well, this is the same word that is actually used to describe Jesus' ministry of healing others. So, for instance, Luke chapter 13. It's the same word that Paul uses here that Jesus will use time and time again with those that he comes and encounters and brings healing to. Luke chapter 13 states this, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling, a weakening, same Greek word, spirit, for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability, your weakness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. The weaknesses that Paul is referring here to in Romans chapter 8 are these, these physical infirmities, but also their physical infirmities that come with all of the emotional and spiritual kind of exasperation, the exhaustion that comes with caring about these physical infirmities. It's all in view here. These weaknesses are limitations, infirmities, even spiritual afflictions, as the story of Luke 13 points out, that leaves one physically, emotionally, and spiritually fatigued. Have you been there? Life is crushing at times. But it's this weakness, look at verse 26, that actually then furthermore leaves us not knowing what to pray. Have you ever found yourself in such circumstances, physically, emotionally, spiritually, undone to the point where I don't even, I don't even know 
what to pray in these moments. I can't even bring, I'm, I'm so exasperated by everything that's happening, and I can't even gather words together to express what I'm going through. And even if I did have the words, I just wouldn't know exactly what to pray because I don't know the answer to all this mess. I couldn't even begin assigning meaning to all the shattered pieces of my life. We don't know what to pray. It's a profound weakness that leaves us in this kind of point of spiritual exhaustion and ignorance. I just don't even know how to engage with the weakness that I'm feeling here now. It's that we're so acquainted with our weakness, so crushed, so exasperated, that we just don't even begin to know what to pray. But you see, it's here. This is the amazing reality of it. It's here in the arena of this like turbulence and difficulty that the Spirit helps us. Folks, this is where we got to marvel. In these moments of utter exasperation, the Holy Spirit is invading those circumstances. He's invading that difficulty for our behalf, right? It's to say that by the sovereign plan of God the Father, through the costly sacrifice of God the Son, the Spirit now invades our deepest sufferings to provide us help in weakness. Folks, this is pure and undeserved grace. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We, in our sins, would deserve all the brokenness and trials of a sinful world. And yet... He comes to us, he makes us his own, and makes the way by which he now invades our deepest sufferings. He helps us in these weakness. And what is the unique nature, then, of his help? How does he help us? He comes and invades. Okay, but what does he do for us? Verse 26, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Now, don't miss it. Whose groanings are these? Whose groanings are these? Who's doing the groaning? In verse 23, if you look back a little bit, it states, we groan as we eagerly await our adoption as sons and daughters. But in verse 26, the Spirit is interceding with groanings. He's doing the groaning. So which is it? Is it us who are groaning, or is it the Spirit who is groaning? It's the Spirit who is stirring up these groanings within us so that what we groan is actually from him. He's stirring them up so that what we are actually groaning is from him. Similarly to verse 15 in chapter 8, where it states that you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You can't even cry out to God without the Spirit's help to do so. Who, who is calling out Abba, Father? Well, it's us, but it's the Spirit. He's empowering it. He's the one who's doing it in and through us as we speak, Abba, Father. So just as he empowers our words, Abba, Father, so he's empowering our groanings. We are saying it, but he's empowering. It's my groans, it's his groans, it's a shared groaning. God is mourning with us. God is grieving with us. 
He's in it with us. He empowers it. He shares in it. Folks, this is the true essence of prayer. Whether it's with words, Abba, Father, I need the Holy Spirit for that reality, or whether it's these wordless groanings. There is a profound necessity to have the Spirit working on my behalf. As Leonard Ravenhill says, prayer is either supernatural or it's superficial. God's either empowering it or you're just going through a religious exercise. It's either in our strength or in His. Prayer then becomes this supernatural delight. Even in our deepest sufferings, even in the midst of our groanings, it becomes something of a supernatural delight. It's altogether something of a step of faith, an act of dependence, a supernatural interaction. Folks, it's why, just to get a little practical, it's why First Fridays are so important. It's why meeting together as men Friday night and just spending time in prayer is so important. We're stepping out in faith. It's not just religious exercise. We're actually participating in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We're actually saying, God, I can't do this life. I need you. I need you to step in. I need you to share in my pain. I need you to do something for my pain. God, come. We need these times. And and, and this is a bit of a side, but to be honest... I sometimes fear that personally and as a church and as the broader church, we have lost our appetite for God, right? Prayer proves it. Prayer proves our appetite for God. We are, I'm just sharing my heart, so oftentimes we are deadened in our spiritual sensitivities with endless entertainment. I fear that screens and entertainment will be the indictment of this generation spiritually. Right? It proves our appetites. Prayer then demonstrates where really our our values lie. We forfeit peace and persevering power for just... Empty entertainment that leaves us all the more restless and lifeless. This is where we need to participate together in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. When we come together by faith, even through all the, all, all, all the struggles to get us there, right? When we finally are gathering together to participate, oh, he comes. He comes. He ministers to us as we pray to him. This is what he does. We share together now in this moment with the empowering presence of God as we pray. He comes to help us. He comes and and intervenes and invades these moments for our good. But finally, look at verse 27. There's a broader picture that's at work here. Yes, the Spirit is helping us with these wordless prayers, these groanings. He's supporting us. He's invading our pain and sufferings, but verse 27, it's as if the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to act as your personal ministry team. 
That's what verse 27. Verse 27 is quite confusing. It says, the one who searches the hearts, that is God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's the triune God coming down into your deepest sufferings to act as your personal ministry team. That's astounding. <laughs> he comes to us. He ministers to us. And to kind of rephrase verse 27, it could be said this way, on the basis of the finished work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Paul's been making that case all along through Romans. On the basis of the finished work of God the Son, God the Father, who knows our hearts, hears the prayers of God the Spirit, so that His will is accomplished in our pain, and our good is eventually realized. Verse 28, all things work together for good. It's the triune ministry team coming to us on the basis of the finished work of God the Son, God the Father who knows our hearts, hears the prayers of God the Spirit so that His will is accomplished in our pain and our good is eventually realized. It doesn't mean that we're going to know all the whys to our sufferings. We may not even understand all the impact of the suffering upon our own hearts, but through it all, the triune God envelops us in flawless ministry so that His perfect will and you, your eternal good will never stand at odds. They will be one and the same. He will accomplish his good purposes through you, maintaining your eternal good through it all. He comes to minister to us. Folks, we should marvel at this reality. When it's only by grace that we have been saved, and through this journey of life, through the wounds of life, he is willing to come to us minister to us, even give us words that we don't even have so that what is brought to the Father is brought perfectly to him according to his will and therefore ultimately for our good. Folks, we should join Paul as he finally comes to that climactic point in Romans chapter 11 where he declares, yes, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways, for from him and to him and through him are all things. Who our God is and how he ministers to us should cause us to marvel. Second, you guys ready to get a little dicey? All right. We are not only to marvel, but we are to make use of his empowering presence. You see these wordless groanings in verse 26 that Paul refers to. These groanings that are our groanings, yet the Spirit's groanings. These groanings perhaps involve more, but certainly nothing less than what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 14 regarding the gift of tongues. Notice how Paul describes the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. 
It reads this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. The idea is that it communicates an almost identical concept to that of Romans chapter 8, verse 26. They are both Spirit-inspired utterances, but what we find in 1 Corinthians 14 is that the, the encounter or this shared utterance is actually something to be pursued, or as 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, earnestly desired. Now, I don't know about you, but just to be plain, when it comes to the gift of tongues, uh, it ends up being like, I don't know any other way to say it, like the back end, the donkey of the spiritual gifts. It's made fun of, it's disdained, you see the misuses and the abuses of it, and so no, no way, I don't want anything like that in my life. It doesn't seem edifying, it doesn't seem right, it seems altogether childlike and foolish. I, I'm going to step away from that. But the gift of tongues, according to Paul, according to God's word, is something to be earnestly desired. It's something to be made use of, not something to be handled wrongly, not something to just kind of not be informed about, but it's something that we should wisely pursue. So even Paul will desire, 1 Corinthians 14, 5, for all to speak in tongues. We are to make use of the Spirit's empowering presence. All right, so let's get a little practical. What is the gift of tongues? All right, just to give you a definition. The gift of tongues is a spirit-given ability to pray or give praise to God through various kinds of spiritual utterance. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 and 15, Paul refers to the gift of tongues as praying in tongues or singing praise in the spirit. It's prayer or praise to God. It's Godward. The gift of tongues is always Godward. It's not horizontal. It's Godward. It's bringing Prayer or praise to God. And it's important to recognize that the gift of tongues includes various kinds. So Paul will state that in chapter 12. He will reiterate something like that in 1 Corinthians 13, where he speaks of tongues of both men and angels. There's a variety of tongues uh, that God grants to us. So to illustrate it a little bit, these various kinds... Acts chapter 2, verse 11, if you remember, the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place. The disciples now are speaking in tongues, and those from other languages who are gathered, they recognize the words that are being spoken. There is this miraculous moment in which this gift of tongues now is actually being spoken so that those of other languages can actually know what's being said. And so they marvel at, in this moment. Because they hear, they, they hear the disciples declaring the mighty acts of God. And so Acts chapter 2, we find that it seems to be something of the tongues of men, while in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes it clear that tongues are for personal encouragement, having no cross-lingual purpose. And therefore, it's all to see that there are various kinds of tongues, both human and heavenly. So the gift of tongues is a spirit-given ability to pray or give praise to God through various kinds of spiritual utterances. 
What's the purpose of the gift of tongues? Perhaps at least threefold. Right? First, the purpose of tongues can be evangelistic. That was Acts 2, where they actually hear what they're saying in their own language, right? And they're provoked now to zone in and see what's happening. And we hear, we hear this is like okay tongues in our world. Like it's the missionary on the mission field. They have these kind of moments happen where they're working with an interpreter and all of a sudden it's like they're not working through the interpreter and the people are just hearing what's being said. It's this miraculous moment. We're good with that kind of stuff as long as it's happening on the mission field. All right. So in some sense, the purpose of this gift may be evangelistic. But a second purpose is that with an interpretation as Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians 14, it's for the encouragement of the church, right? So it needs an interpretation to be spoken publicly before the church so that it builds up the church. But finally, the purpose of this gift is for the building up of ourselves. Paul will actually state in 1 Corinthians 14 that it is for the building up of oneself. Chapter 14, verse 4. It is for our personal edification, not only for corporate edification. And so Paul is recognizing a third tier in the purpose of tongues, saying this is, this is a personal help to us, and it's in this particular uh, aspect of the purpose of the gift of tongues that Romans 8 comes into play. It is for our personal perseverance, not just building us up so we feel happy about ourselves, but actually giving us something of grace to endure through the trials of life so that we know through the gift of tongues that there's something of my own heart's being inclined to God's heart, that something of my spirit is being inclined to his spirit, or as we've said from John chapter 4, that it's we're bringing all we are to all he is. Even the stuff I don't understand, I'm inclining my spirit to his spirit, so that I'm being built up. My inner man is being stirred up. Everything is giving way in my life, and yet, spiritually speaking, through the gift of tongues, I'm posturing myself so that my spirit is being inclined to his spirit. This is what the gift of tongues does for us. It's an incredible grace. It's an incredible aid to our lives. When all of life has been shaken, my mind can't make sense of it all and although I can't make sense of it all, it's important that we can still bring all we are to all he is without the mental confusion of the moment. It's uniquely to stir up one's spirit. So when the mind feels the limitations, there's still a healthy way to incline our spirit to God's spirit. It's one of, if I can just assert this as well, it's one of the greatest apologetics of the church, of our Christian faith the experiential aspect of our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord isn't merely cognitive. It's not just cerebral. It actually goes beyond that to our spirits where we actually have an encounter with him. It's relational in nature. Therefore, the gift of tongues serves to that end. It's the experience of having our spirits inclined to his spirits. To his spirit, not multiple spirits. So this is one purpose of the gift of tongues, or if you'd prefer, the, the gift of groanings. Maybe, it's, maybe we just get tied up in the terminology of it. 
And if that's the case, we'll just use Romans 8. Groanings. Have you been there? Oh, Lord, I, like, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say, but I need, I need to voice something. If you don't like the gift of tongues as a term, use, use gift of groanings. Um, but all of this is expressly to aid in our perseverance. So it's important that we would earnestly desire the Spirit in this way so that we can join in in his persevering aid to us. So finally, and we'll finish up, how should this gift be pursued? Paul says, earnestly desire it, go after it, pursue it, make sure it's something that is functioning in your life. And I think it's important to note this, when we think about this idea of how should this gift be pursued, know that God never forces a gift upon you. I didn't wake up one morning sensing a call to pastoral ministry and just uttering sermons. It's not the way it works. You just don't just kind of get hit with a divine wand and all of a sudden, well, there's the gift and you're just functioning in it. No, it's a step of faith that must absolutely take place. Through fear and intrepidation, I didn't get to the point where I could just get up here and preach a sermon. I, I couldn't even stand in front of people. You step into your calling by faith and you begin to encounter the empowerment of God's Spirit. The same is true even for the gift of tongues. He's not just going to make you do it. It's something that we must receive by faith. And so first, we must stir our conviction for the gift of tongues with Scripture. And if you, maybe you come from a background where it's like, okay, this is, this is crazy world, like, that's the, all the excesses and abuses and misuses of Scripture. Well, get into Scripture and read what Paul has to say, that these things are to be pursued, that these things are to be pursued until the coming of Christ, that these things are given to us as manifestations of the Spirit for our aid, for our edification, for our good. Stir your conviction for this gift with Scripture, read through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Read it and reread it and read it again. Stir your conviction and take some of these phrases seriously where he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Take it at its word. Don't try to bend it. Don't do all these hermeneutical gymnastics so you just don't have to mess with it anymore. No, encounter it, grapple with the text, stir your conviction for these things with Scripture. And then finally, this is so, like, not complicated at all. By faith, put it to use. By faith, put it to use. I remember the first time that I spoke in tongues. We were going through a very difficult season in our church. And I actually, like, I was sick and tired of, like, staring at my screen on a computer and thinking about the next sermon that I got to get together and thinking about all the things that, you know, need to be tended to in this moment of crises. And so I actually went down into the basement and was like, I just need to tear something up. And it'll just demo something, like, kick some laugh off the wall or something. Um, at that time, we were doing all the demolition stuff down there. And... And I just started, oh, God, where are you? 
That's what it began with. And then I found myself just groaning out to him. And from the groans came syllables. And at the same time, I found myself again playing music personally, and I would find myself not actually bringing words to mind, not trying to use, you know, speak theology to God that he already knows. But I wanted something deeper. I wanted something from my soul. I wanted to sing, right, from my spirit. And so as I play, I just begin bringing out so sounds to the Lord. And it was a profound thing, whether it was groaning down in the basement or whether it's with the guitar singing, they're profound. I began to recognize my spirit is being edified in these moments. I feel like God is standing right next to me. I can encounter something of his, his presence. It's real. It seems foolish. It's one of the reasons why we kind of step away from it. It's because it seems so childlike and foolish. I don't want to sound like an idiot. I don't want to act like an idiot. Like, let me just be in control. Let me just kind of make sure I remain dignified. You know what the gift of tongues also then does? Is it gets us past that barrier of thinking we have to be so dignified with one another. God calls us to be childlike. And he says, here's my gift, here's my grace, but it's going to come through kind of an undignified expression. <laughs> Are you good with becoming undignified in order to encounter my grace? This is the way he works. It's a mystery of sorts, but this is the way he works. And in that mystery, we must step out in faith and put it to use. So, stir up your convictions according to God's word but then take those simple steps of faith and put it to use. Maybe you gotta get alone with the Lord. Maybe on your commute to work, it's like, I gotta turn everything off. Lord, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cry out to you. Whatever syllables come to my mouth is what I'm gonna say. And I'm gonna trust by faith that you're joining me in this, that you're producing something in me. It'll sound foolish. It'll seem naturally supernatural, if that's a way to say it. It's not as though some grand light's going to hit you. It's very natural, and yet you'll find your spirit being edified in those moments. And for some of you, there may, be, there may be different things that hinder the faith that actually get in the way of the, if you will, experience. As soon as you begin doing it, you're going to be like, oh, man, this seems so hollow. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hear the enemy's lies that this is just foolishness, utter foolishness. Why would I ever do this? And you need to stand up against those lies. No, God's word says, I am to earnestly desire this. Go after it. It was Paul's desire that all would speak in tongues. So once again, inform yourself with the conviction truth of God's word, but then step out, put it to use, embrace being undignified for once, and encounter God's grace, okay? Now in closing, I just want to pray for it. I want you to think as we pray, and I'll invite the musicians forward, keep in mind Romans 8, 
Keep in mind Romans 8. The Spirit wants to join us in our troubles, giving us words, giving us groanings, this, this triune ministry team coming to us and tending to us. So if you get, if things all of a sudden get complicated when, once you go to 1 Corinthians 14, don't let it get complicated. Marvel at the glory of who our God is who wants to enter into our sufferings on our behalf. He wants to come and share in our groanings. He wants to share in our grief. He wants to share in our mourning as a persevering grace to us. And so if 1 Corinthians 14 is like, oh, not so sure, just think about Romans 8. He loves us and cares for us. So as the team comes, yeah, I just want to pray. I want to be faithful to what the Lord is like calling me to do. So I just want, I want to pray for you guys. Um, not just that he would give you the gift. I think his gifts are like bottom shelf. They're not out of reach. We, we make them out of reach. His gifts are granted to us. We just got to grab them by faith. That's why Paul can say, man, it's, it would be my desire everyone would speak in tongues. Right? So they're bottom level. It's for us to grab them, put them to use, ultimately. So I want to pray to that end, that we would have faith to receive this grace. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at your goodness to us. How good you have been from before the foundation of the world that you would have planned to set your son forward to pay the price, yes, for our sins, and yet to paved the way, ultimately, for us to know the many blessings of your Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you came and made it all possible, that you bear the scars in your glorified body even now as the risen, exalted King. What you've done is you've opened the way for us to know the ministry of the Spirit, even in our most deepest sufferings and troubles. And Spirit of God, thank you that you have been poured out, that you are in us, you are with us, you are not far from us, and thank you that in some sense you are attracted to our sufferings and pains. You, you step into it, join us in it, and give us utterance so that it accords with the will of the Father and is in line with our greatest eternal good. So now, Spirit of God, I pray that you would come upon us even now, that you would stir our hearts towards faith in this incredible grace.
Lord, I pray against the enemy who would want to keep these persevering graces from us. These graces that you have paid for, these graces that you bring to us, these graces that are for our good. We pray, oh God, against the enemy who would want to confuse it, who would want it to be misused, who would uh, want us to doubt it, who would want us to say it's foolish, who would want us to find some sort of position of being dignified before others. But we pray against those lies. And we pray now that in Jesus' name you would stir within us this wonderful grace that our spirits would be edified, that they would be built up. So, Spirit, we give you sway upon us even right now. Would you come and stir up this wonderful gift? Out of your kindness, out of your goodness, but for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a final song. And I'd encourage you, if there's, if there's questions that you have about all of this stuff, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk it out. But if you're like, you know what, I've had my questions answered, and I just know I'm just not stepping out and, like, reaching for the gift. As we sing this song, just speak. There's an actual bridge that's just a bunch of O's and A's or something like that, right? Speak! What's the Holy Spirit putting on your heart? Shando olomasante! It's okay. It's okay. There's just so much fear in the way. It feels right. It feels good. It feels good to just cry out to God. It doesn't have to look perfect or sound perfect, but it is good to speak to the Lord as he gives utterance and inclines our spirit to his spirit. You don't have to be crazy about it, but you can receive it as he gives it. Step out in faith as we sing the song.